1: Um sintoma claro de que o futebol português estava a mudar, e não necessariamente para melhor. É que esta partida não ficou na história pelo jogo jogado. Houve poucas oportunidades de gol. A bola foi mastigada a meio campo. Não abundaram os lances vistosos. Então o que aconteceu? O que tornou a final deste Porto Benfica num caso tão especial e diferente de tantos outros clássicos? A resposta é simples. Não foi pelo que se passou em campo, mas pelo que aconteceu a resposta completa vem já a seguir, quando percorrermos os meandros da final da Taça de Portugal 1982-83.
0: What's up Benfica Nation? Welcome to episode 58 of Mr. Benfica. I am your host, of course, as always, the Mr. Mike Agostinho, How's everybody doing? Hopefully everybody is doing well. We are continuing in this episode and coming to the end of our trip through today of course we're talking about the cup final Benfica versus Porto and what you heard at the top there was a recap from the accompanying episode of Vitorius and Patrimonio um, that covered this match really what this episode is is a review of the documentary not so much the game because unfortunately Footage of the game is few and far between The match was televised by RTP As I will go on to say in the episode But the match in its entirety was nowhere to be found I looked everywhere And um, I couldn't find it So I didn't get a chance to watch it So really this episode becomes about the story behind the match The backstory if you will The underlying storylines Or the underlying uh, narrative that was, was was going on in the game at the time. Everything that led up to this extraordinary final that would be played at the, not just at the end of the season as usual, but at the beginning of the following season. Because of so much drama. And what the narrator says there is this is a match remembered for everything that happened off the pitch. On the pitch it was a quite uh, poor, poor uh, performance from both sides. A poor football match given obviously, that it was played at the beginning of the following season. At the end of preseason, players are a little bit tired as they're still getting back into the routines of playing matches. And especially in those days, there wasn't the type of offseason training programs that that players take part in today. It was a much different era. And um, it's going to be an interesting look back at everything that happened in 82-83 involving uh, Sport Lisboa Benfica Football Club do Porto and the Federação Portuguesa de Futebol the FPF the three major players in this episode in this story if you will um and it's really a if I didn't see this for myself if I didn't do the research I wouldn't believe this if somebody told me this story it would have I would have thought it was made up just the ridiculousness of everything that that went on in at this time and it was the beginning of something that was not going to go away it was the beginning of a rivalry essentially the the seeds of the benfica Porto rivalry that we know today start in this story okay so i hope everyone enjoys this um i had a good time re- uh, recording it i did actually stop mid episode um in a moment of add if you will adhd um i saw in between uh segments while i was recording that uh former befica Player now New York City FC player Keaton Parks who was on the Bafta podcast last week with Alfredo and Cristiano and then their interview obviously made headlines all over Portugal all the Portuguese papers and blogs picked up his comments um, he was doing a live and I, I jumped in there and started firing questions at him if you will I, I, I hijacked the conversation you know him and his girlfriend are making dinner in the video and uh, they're they're you know. They're talking to, to people they know for the most part and answering questions about, about cooking. And I, I jump in there with with questions about playing for Benfica. And I ask him what it was like to play. If he knew coming with Benfica to the United States, the type of, of support that Benfica has here in the United States, if he was aware of it, he said he was. I thought that was pretty cool that I had a little interaction there with Keaton Parks and... Um, Obviously, a player that I am following still, um, even though he is now employed in Major League Soccer here in the United States. As he told uh, Alfredo and Cristiano and Dave last week on the Benfica Podcast, he still has hope and still has a dream of playing for Benfica's first team someday. Great to hear that. Seems like he's a fan. He's one of us. I I, I will say it. He is one of us. And I wish nothing but the best for him. So um, this episode took a little longer to record because I... I kind of got off-topic there in between in between segments, and I jumped in on that Instagram live. But um, what we're going to do here, okay, we're going to pay a bill really quickly, and then on the other side of the ad, we're going to listen one last time to dos. All right, we're going to listen to our 1983 hit, and then we'll get right into the story that was the Portuguese Cup Final 1982-1983 Football Club de Porto versus Spot Lisboa Benfica. This is Mr. Benfica. You can follow me on Twitter at Benfica Mister, on Instagram at Mr. Benfica, on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Mr. Benfica, and also check out the website www.mrbenfica.com. I'll be right back on the other side to get into this story.
1: Entram no relevado para jogar a grande festa do futebol nacional, a final da Taça. Mas esperem, há algo estranho aqui. Uma final da Taça no fim de agosto. Uma final da Taça entre Porto e Benfica no Estádio das Antas. Não podemos avançar já para o jogo. Primeiro que tudo, é preciso decifrar este mistério.
0: And what you heard there from the narrator is what we're talking about today. It is the 1983 Portuguese Cup final. And you heard the narrator say there, played on the 21st of August, 1983 at the Stadio des Antes. Say what? Yeah, that's right. Porto playing at home in this cup final. And there is a lot of backstory <laughs> to to go over in, in relation to this match and why it was played where it was. So the story... Of this final begins in February of 1982, a year and a half before the match was finally played, um, February 82, as we said, at uh, an F an FPF Congress. All right, um, the members of the federation, or the the representatives, the the councilmen, if you will, of the federation, um, the dirigentes, like we say in Portuguese, of the federation, the FPF, deliberate moving the cup final from its traditional home at the Jamur, um, a stadium that <laughs> that the press in the north, especially the blue press, and that the president of this, cl- this blue and white club liked to intentionally call o uh, the do um, and not Stadio Nacional, meaning the Oeiras Stadium and not the National Stadium, because he didn't um, like he didn't like the idea of a National Stadium in Lisbon. It goes against, or it, it feeds right into, I should say, into his propaganda and into the story that he would tell, the narrative that he would try to control to gain the support of his his fan base. And so, at this Congress. Um, the FPF is deliberating whether or not to move the final, you know, and not play it always in the same stadium of the Jamur. And we see a newspaper spread, and the subtitle in the headline uses the term "Campaña du Norte." Translation: The Northern Campaign. So this was a campaign. There's no no if-ands or buts about it. This is a campaign run by. Football Club de Port, in particular, its president, its or soon to be president at this point. Um, in February of eighty two, it was of eighty two. It was the soon to be president. Um, but this is the pressure that, as a candidate for the presidency, um, Pinto da Costa was was getting behind this story and this. This culture war of North versus South in Portugal, extending to football, and and then taking it way past football and into real life and into economics and into um, just you know subcultures or whatnot, and just creating this North versus South divide in order to strengthen his team, Um, the Porto through the through its its mouthpiece of the. The FA of Porto, the regional FA in the district of Porto, w- would campaign to move the cup final every year and play it in a different stadium. Of course, um, this this is true today in Portugal. How f- and we talk about this now in 2020 about we've heard about moving the final from the Jamor for security reasons or whatever, and how many other stadiums in Portugal really? Have the the capability and the fa- the facilities and the conditions, if you will, to host a security risk like Benfica Sporting, Benfica Port, Port Sporting, in a final. Okay, even for the Super Cup every year, it it gets very very complicated when they move that around. And the the Portuguese Cup final is much bigger than the Super Cup or the the League Cup, the Tasa de Liga, and. Even more so in 1983 was this the case? I mean, at this time, how many stadiums really, really could host this kind of a final? Um, so clearly, Porto wants to play the final in the north, and they want to play it at home. I, that becomes very, very apparent because the the Porto FA do not do not submit as a suggestion or make a bid, if you will, for Stadio do Bessa in Porto. You know, where Boa Vista were playing. Yeah, it was not the stadium it is today back then. But how about Primeiro de Maio in Braga, or Dom Afonso Henriques in Guimarães? None of those stadiums. are put forward it's Azantech, the the home stadium of football club Report. Football club report using the Porto FA to to push this. And what happens is out of this Congress. The Federation ruled that at the start of each season, there has to be a designated location for that season's cup final. So they agree to move it from the, or they agree that they are open to moving it from the Jamur. But that would have to be determined at the beginning of each season. So we fast forward. Later in 1982, we're in November, and the Federation still has no site designated for the 82-83 Cup Final, the season that we have spent the last three episodes reviewing. and I've kind of left this out, and then we hear in the in the documentary. And for those of you that are following along, I'm talking about the Vitoriaj and Patrimonio documentary, the episode specifically dedicated to this match. Okay, there is very little game footage available out there on the internet, believe it or not. The game was televised by RTP, but the game. At one time, I know it was available on YouTube and on Footballia, and I know at one time I had it queued up on YouTube, and it is gone, and I do see I have several games that I had had saved to watch later that now say no longer available. This is one of them, because I know I had it at one time, so unfortunately, I'm not able to watch this match, um, but... What we do know, okay, is that eighty-two, eighty-three, the cup final, there is no site designated, and then from the documentary from Vitorias e Patrimonio, we hear from our friend Alberto Miguel, and he explains that at this point in history, Porto have an abysmal record in cup finals versus Benfica, and a recent and recently, losing embarrassingly. First of all, in eighty, and then again in eighty-one, and their defeat in eighty is particularly marked at the end of the reign of Pinto da, with the end of the reign of Pinto da Costa as the director of football. So before Pinto da Costa was president of Football Club do Porto, he was director of football for several years. His manager was was Zé Maria Pedroto, and. After losing the 1980 final to Benfica and losing the 1980 league season to Sporting, uh, Benfica, uh, excuse me, Porto sack uh, the Porto's president at the time, sacks Pinto da Costa and sacks Jose Maria Pedroto for the failure. All right, and what happens is an angry Pinto da Costa would would go to work right away, and he would he would rise from the ashes, if you will, and he would come back in 1982 in April of 1982. And he would win the presidency of the club. And he would install Pedroto as his manager. And Pinto da Costa still sits in that seat today here. 37 years later in 2020. Pinto da Costa, a very old man, is still the president of Porto. And we can already see the way he runs things. Um, right, right off out of the blocks here. And... Peter the Costa right away goes into blaming he blames an internal conspiracy between the Lisbon clubs he's talking about Benfica and Sporting particularly and the F, and the FPF as well for Porto's past failures at this point Porto have very few titles to their name they are um definitely not they're one of, if there's a big 3 at this time they're the third by no by by every stretch of the imagination, they are not one of the big two, okay, up to this point, it's about Benfica and Spartan for the most part, and Pinto da Costa does not like this, remember of course, you may or may not know this, Pinto da Costa was in attendance as a young boy in 1952 for the inauguration of this St- Stadio das Antas, a game that Porto would invite Benfica to come play to inaugurate the stadium, Benfica would... <laughs> Hand them an 8-2 defeat and absolutely humiliate them um, in the opening of their new stadium. And Pinto da Costa never forgot this. And so, Pinto da Costa will start his presidency by attacking the location of the cup final being every year in Lisbon. And he decides that if he can't beat the Lisbon clubs at a neutral ground in the final, he'll get the final moved to his stadium one way or another. He has connection. This is a well-connected man. And before he was the director of football, okay, Pinto da Costa was in charge of the boxing department at, at... Football Porto. Yeah, they used to have a boxing department and he was known to use intimidation and known to have his stooges to get things done if you know what I mean, um, and to bring in very questionable amounts of of funds to the boxing department at Football Club do Porto. And then he was eventually promoted to the football department and then he was the the chef or the director of football as we would call it today. And before being sacked, of course, at the end of the 80 season. But here he re-emerges and he wins the presidency. And he rallies his support around hate for Benfica. This is a brand new concept in 1982-83, okay? And, and of course, the timing couldn't be more perfect for him because Benfica are having a historic run in 82-83. As we know, having gone through the last three episodes breaking it down... Um, And what what he tries to do here is he tries to – he starts pressuring referees and he starts using the media, okay, especially the northern media, the blue press, Ujogu, to be exact. It's been his biggest ally throughout his entire presidency is that propaganda arm known as Ujogu. And – Now, what he's doing is Pinto De Costa really wants to get this game at home, and he really wants to play this game at the end of the 83 season because Benfica are completely exhausted. Benfica have played eight more matches than Porto in 82-83. They have gone all the way to the final of the UEFA Cup, like we, we mentioned. Porto were eliminated in the second round of the UEFA Cup. They were absolutely slaughtered by the same Anderlecht team that Benfica narrowly lost out to in the final and he knows this, and Pinto da Costa is doing everything in his power because he can't win the league at this point. I have already won the league. He's trying to get this match played um, at the Dragão in in June, but it does not happen. As the, you know, this thing ends up in 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 councils and in arbitration, and independent arbitrators come in. The federation has a change of power in the meantime. Okay. Um, a new president of the federation comes in by the name of Silva Chazent, and he is not a fan of playing the final at at the the Dragon, uh, sorry the Yantish. So what we get at first is, as we see here, we see the Porto Regional FA, like we said, they make they make their bid for the final, and they submit, of course the antesh stadium despite uh despite the president of the federation's recommendation that the that the things be delayed until there are until the four semifinalists um i should say until the semifinals are complete the the president the new president of the federation silva Kazend believes that the final location at this point since they've already been delayed we're past november we still don't have location. We're now in the springtime, and there's still no location. He proposes the idea that we wait until we know the two finalists and then select a a neutral site, which is all too reasonable. And Porto will have none of that. The Porto FA will have none of that. And what happens is uh, that things just continue to get so delayed, and it, it... in in spite of it being more prudent to wait until the finals are known, the the federation, after being strong armed and politicked by uh, the the FA from Porto, they do decide that Antigüit is to host the final. As far as um, as far as to move the location of a Portuguese national, they go as far as to move a location of a Portuguese national team match to allow for this cup final to be played at the Antas. That's right. The Portuguese national team have a important match, a qualifying for Euro 84 match at the Antas scheduled. And the federation completely puts the national team on the back burner and decides that the cup final is, is going to go on at the Antas. And what happens next is that we get all of these talks Going on in in secret behind closed doors, okay. And then we get a little bit uh, of an explanation from Alberto Migange again, and he explains that the bylaws of the federation and of the to- of the competition do not state that the cup final must be played at the national stadium. Reasonable enough. They do, however, state that. If it's not at the national stadium, it must be at a regional, uh, a neutral pitch. Okay, this was not, and I put into parentheses that this is not Porto's first home final either. They played finals at home in the in the fifties and sixties as well. They managed to move the final to their city a couple of times, and uh, you know. At a time where travel was a little more 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 difficult, it made sense for a Porto Boavista final to be played in the city of Porto. This is not the case here in 1983. And so Alberto goes on to say that um, to move the final, it's in the bylaws, to move the final, both teams need to agree on a location. But this gets overlooked flat and flat-out ignored by the federation in this case. And now we hear from uh portuguese from benfica fan joao malheiro and he explains the politicking and strong arming by porto actually starts in the 70s he says when pinto de costa becomes the director of football this is when he starts his his movement if you will this is when he starts his strong arming and he he realizes that to to elevate Porto to the level of the Lisbon clubs, he needs to he needs to insert some politicking, and he needs to he needs to drive a wedge between the two r- rivals from the Cun Circular. In um, talking, of course, about Benfica and about Sporting, and he knows that he needs to wage battle off of the pitch as well as on the pitch if he is to elevate Porto to the level of the clubs from the capital. So. He takes advantage of regional prejudices that existed at the time, and he he very much explicitly expresses um, some of this prejudice in port. And it was it was much more common in Portuguese society in those days. He says, that that is says by eighty three Porto do not have." Do not excuse me. Do not only try to win on the pitch, but now they're doing everything possible off the pitch to gain an advantage as well. And then Benfica arrive at this eighty-three final as league champions, and um, they have they have gone through the cup. Okay, they have disposed of Campinense, Atlético, Passos Ferreira, Leixões, Sporting, and. Portimonense along the way. Sporting, of course, are the cup holders when Benfica eliminate them in the quarterfinal. And in April of 83, it is it is official that the final is going to be played at Azantes. Benfica respond to this by saying they will not take part or agree to take part in a final against Porto in their own stadium. Meanwhile, the new regime in power at the FPF Okay, and this is Silva Gazend who we're talking about. Um, they tend to agree. They're also opposed to Porto playing the Cup final at home. Here is some comments from the newly appointed president of the federation at this time, the Portuguese Football Federation at this time in 1983. This is Silva Chizend
1: talking uh, to the press lhe cabe a competência para marcar o local da final da Taça de Portugal. Porém, não pode esquecer que não foram cumpridos os prazos regulamentares e, por outro lado, foram preteridas formalidades regulamentares que visam assegurar direitos de terceiros, ainda que seja o direito de reclamar ou impugnar contenciosamente as decisões da Direção. 7. Cabe agora à Direção atual sanar e formalizar a situação exposta em termos de vincular terceiros às suas deliberações.
0: So first the new president there um, states to the to the media that the, he says this the federation in good conscience through the regulations of national competitions has determined to exercise its power to relocate the Portuguese Cup final and in doing so we cannot forget that the regulatory protocols. Um, we cannot forget the regulatory protocols that have been omitted and been ignored in the proceedings. We're determined that these have been uh, compromised and violated. Clubs do, however, have the right to appeal any decisions made by this body. And then we hear from the narrator, and he says, in an instance where good sen- good common sense appears to win out the federation have determined that the 1983 final be played not in porto or in lisbon but halfway between in the city of coimbra and it's a decision that seems all too reasonable so naturally what could possibly go wrong right <laughs> well Porto hold the General Assembly and its members vote overwhelmingly to boycott the final unless it is played at the Antejo. The FA from Porto uh, will throw out the number that Stadio das Antejo, the, the Antas Stadium, holds 25,000 more seats than the Coimbra Stadium and is more suited for the final. Well, with that argument... Benfica could move the final, could make use that argument to move the final from the Jamur every season, as in this time in 1983, the Stadio de Luge held 80,000 uh, supporters or 80,000 fans. Um, in comparison to the thirty-five thousand or forty thousand or so you could squeeze into the jamur at this time, um, absolutely horrible, horrible reasoning. But it is what it is. The co- the case will end up going to the Council of Justice, and one of the council members will step down with no explanation in the middle of these proceedings. And it is it is in the meantime, Benfica and Porto. Go on to win their semifinal matches at this point. So, all this fighting outside the field, all this fighting in the federation, um, was before Benfica and Porto had even punched their tickets to the final. But they go ahead and they do win their respective uh, semifinal matches. Benfica beating Porto Munez and Porto beating Academico de Vizil. Funny, where have I seen that matchup in the semifinals before? Oh, wait, that's right. That just happened a couple months ago where, again, Benfica faced Fumley Cohen. Somehow Porto gets this nice cozy job or this nice cozy draw of playing their their filial if you will. A club that has always been one of their one of their allies in Academic de Viseu. Well Academic Viseu was here again. And here in nineteen eighty three they were also in the mix, but they would step aside as Porto would punch their ticket to the final. And the short-handed the now short-handed council because of the stepping down of a member rules that the final will go on at the Antage and not at the municipal de coimbra they side with the porto fa and now they they rule that the deliberation basically this independent council um, of justice if you will, the Justice Council, um, ruled that the deliberation of the FPF in which Coimbra was selected was invalid, and when questioned, the spokesperson for the council states that they are not in the administrative branch, but in the judicial branch, and they are not going to speak on the logistics of how this is going to happen, or they speak only on the legality of the, defi- of the decision that was met by the Federation in those deliberations. So, we come to the point here where we have now a final ruling. It has gone outside of football. It has gone to the Council of Justice, the Conselho de Justicia. Okay? Um, basically wasting the legal system's time with, with the sport matter. Pito da Costa, you know. And and his cronies managed to get this done. And at the end of the day, the final will be played at the Yanthes. We're going to take a quick break right here. And when we come back, we will move on with this story. As there's more to, more to talk about, more to uncover. As we look back and as we relive, if you will, the story of the 1983 Cup Final. As we start to close out our look back on 82-83. Here on Mr. Benfica, I am the Mr. Mike Agustinio. And don't forget to follow me at Twitter on Benfica Mr. on Instagram at Mr. Benfica on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Mr. Benfica. And to check out the website Mr. Benfica.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Mr. Benfica episode 58 where we look back at the 1983 Portuguese Cup Final between Benfica and Porto and what you heard there from the narrator he is saying that there has always been problems before between Benfica and Porto normal problems but up to this point, um, it had been a healthy rivalry, but things begin to get ugly and take a turn for the worse in April 1982 when Pinto da Costa is elected president, and Pedrotu uses the media at that time when when he's got the backing knowing he has basically the the full confidence of Pinto da Costa and he has the unconditional backing. He starts using the media to fire at Benfica and to. Really start to 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 play the the quote unquote mind games that we see today. Okay, Pedroto will use especially the the blue press um, to fire shots at Benfica and to arouse the anger of portistas to be directed at Benfica. Okay, he the two of them together painted as a north versus salt. Versus South cultural civil war. And that portistas, all the Portistas buy into that hook, line, and sinker. It is the radicalization of their fan base. Pinto da Costa becomes an icon at Porto. And Porto go on to become a giant in Portuguese football, no doubt. And they go on to become a big name in Europe as well. But the means by which uh, they used to get there are very questionable and uh, to be honest quite toxic. The Dragons um, become very ambitious and aggressive with their objective of converting all northerners and rallying them all behind FCP, aiming to while well, aiming to divide and conquer their rivals in the capital. We get a quick recap in the video now in the in the documentary of the historic season Benfica have just had under Sven and Eriksson. Uh, before the narrator circles back to the controversies created by Pinto da Costa and Jose Maria Pedroto, referee intimidation w- becomes weekly, along with um, along with accusations in the media that Benfica players are doping and anything at all possible use of the media, use of words to do anything to start rumors to try to destabilize Benfica. This is a tactic they use to this day. 37 years later, you still see headlines in the press all the time that are completely untrue and completely fed to these news agencies from this club, this rival, okay? This rival in the north. They still use this method to try to destabilize Benfica. I'm proud to say that throughout its history, Benfica tend to take the high road almost to a fault and I I have Luis Felipe Vieira this past season, our current president, 2019-2020, for taking the high road. And he has finally, you know, not just been on the defensive, but he has fired back at them. Because unfortunately, the culture that has been created in Portuguese football, and it starts here in 82-83, today is so toxic and it is so dangerous. And a precedent has been set that you cannot compete without Using these tactics of intimidation, of of finger pointing, of of pressuring referees before games even start. Let's not talk about viaducts entering the city of Porto with with dummies uh, or dolls of Benfica and referees hanging from the viaducts. Okay, this all starts right here with the election of Pinto the Caixa, clear cut plan, uh, a well executed plan. Let's be honest, but but a very very immoral, a very very ugly um plan I'm glad he's not my president I don't care how much they win I don't care if uh, you know if they beat us from now until the end of time I'm glad he's not my president um Pedroto also in the lead up to the match okay will will um he promises. He t- goes to the media and promises to massacre Benfica. This is before the league match, okay? So this is th- the the league match that we talked about back in episode fifty six, in uh, part two of the of the trilogy, if you will, of the uh, of the of this trilogy of the the eighty two eighty three season. Um, he promises to massacre Benfica. However, Benfica come out of the Antege with a nil nil draw, which basically. Clinches the title and again post match. Okay, we're going, we're going post match. A uh, back in I believe it was in April, if my memory serves me right. Okay, when Benfica with uh, four matches from the end of the season get the draw, keep the four or six matches. Excuse me, six matches from the end of the season. Benfica keep the four point lead on Porto. Okay, they come out of the antas with a four point lead right away. Pedrotu. Post match accuses Benfica players of doping. Goes to my favorite, my favorite accusation. Okay, it doesn't matter if it's Pedroto It doesn't matter if it's if it, Mourinho's been guilty of this in the past. Okay, Guardiola does this sometimes. Um, you name a manager, a high-profile manager, or a high-profile, a um, high-profile personality in football, a commentator, a pundit. They when their team is isn't ins- unsuccessful. This is my favorite favorite shot they like to fire across the bow. Most recently in this this 2019-20 season that we were currently living through was it was by Fabio Martins of Portimon. Of course, anti-football. When you can't beat a team, you accuse them of anti-football. <laughs> Pedroto does this in 1983, anti-football says that Benfica came to the stadium only interested in defense. And, it was a, and they ruined the match and the spectacle and that they're not valiant champions if they go on to win it. Blah, blah, blah. Porto blames the referee, etc. They were given a penalty kick. They missed it. What more do they want? Gomes missed the penalty kick. We talked about it. Okay. Um, and we see a graphic with Befica's uh, season statistics now come up on the screen. And we see 67 goals scored this season. 13 suffered. Porto would view this final as redemption for the title they believed was quote unquote stolen from them and have they ever have they ever not believed that they were their title was stolen let's go back to last season with that that lovely tifo with uh, the uh, saying that the true champ national champions with 11 referees in a team photo absolutely ridiculous and i don't even would they even um was there even any discipline handed to them for this? I don't remember anymore. It was probably a 500 euro or less fine um, for for uh, a TIFO that was clearly approved by the club because they have, you know, they have clocks uh, legalizado. You know, the Super that going to are an official clock, an official supporters group, and that means the club approves what they say and what they do and nothing happens okay let's go back to 83 now and um like we said porto will view this final as redemption for the title that they let slip uh, this will be the seventh final between the sides with benfica winning six and porto only beating benfica in a final back in 57 58 it's still Ladies and gentlemen, the only final where Porto have beaten Befica in the final of the Portuguese Cup and if history hopefully history will repeat itself someday whenever we finally play the 2020 final whether it's uh whether it's this spring, this summer, this fall, hopefully before the end of the calendar year, um Benfica would go on to to win another final against Porto, uh, you know, um a bit later and and we all remember of course the 2004 uh, final where Benfica would beat a soon to be crowned European champion Jose Mourinho led Porto in extra time alright so the federation um, announced they announced now that the final will be played on August the 21st just days after Benfica will be will have to travel to Bilbao for the second leg of the Iberian Cup, a cup that has one of the weirdest histories, okay, the Iberian Cup is so sporadic, all right, Porto were the holders at this time in 83 of that cup, they won it in 1935, yeah, 1935, and then it's played, uh, uh it's competed for again in 1983, um, and Benfica would over two legs Beat Athletic Bilbao Which is a huge accomplishment um, Athletic Bilbao The champions of Spain at this time Okay so the Iberian Cup Was supposed to be the champion of Portugal Versus the champion of Spain To crown an Iberian champion Benfica had just won that Three days earlier than this this uh, Cup final with Porto And um, You know and, and there's definitely be some fatigue As it's early in the preseason The the 82-83 season is over. The players have had their vacation. They've had their international duty, whatever. They're back now. They've played their entire preseason and even played what was considered to be an official competition there, the Iberian Cup against Athletic Bilbao. So they've started the 83-84 season, and now they're going to go finish the 82-83 season in the cup final. Three days later, uh, the players would talk in um. You know Benfica independent on their Benfica in Quarantina. One of one of their uh, guests, I think it was Diamantino, talked about this um, how they had they flew directly from Bilbao to Porto. So this was a week long road trip for Benfica. They would they would leave for Bilbao early in the week. And then return, not home, but they would go to Porto and start their istagio or their their uh, their camp, if you will, uh, for the build-up to this final. And many people believe at this time that Befica is going to roll out the juniors in protest. Um, of course, the 83-84 league season begins the very next week. The 28th of August is the first match in the league season. Um, Only on the day before the match does President Fernando Martins confirm Benfica are sending their first squad to the final out of respect for the public and out of respect for the sport and the competition. The truth is, however, that Ericsson and his players never had any other intention other than to play this match. They had no intention of sitting this one out. So when we come back, we will talk about the match itself. We've got all the BS out of the way. We've got all of the backstory, And uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about the match. All right. So let's take this quick break. And we'll be right back on episode 58 of Mr. Benfica. I am the Mr. Mike Agostinho.
1: Bem ou a mal estava terminado o jogo dos gabinetes, podíamos passar ao plano desportivo. Para já, o Benfica não se apresentava tão poderoso como no ano anterior, na primeira pré-época de Eriksson, A equipa passeou uma superioridade que confirmaria depois na competição oficial. Este ano, os jogos de preparação alternavam entre os bons e os maus resultados, entre o futebol de classe e a falta de inspiração, mas os motores ainda estavam a aquecer.
0: And welcome back for the final segment of this episode. And what you heard there, okay, the narrator is going over Benfica's start to the 83-84 season, the preseason and he says that uh, Benfica are inconsistent in this upcoming in this uh, sorry not upcoming in this <laughs> in this preseason that they're in the midst of here as they go into this this cup final the most awkward of times for a cup final to be played. Of course, um, they've they've alternated between good and bad play, and it's it's really going into the matches. There's really no way of knowing which way this match is going to go, especially with the opponent playing at home. And um, he also points out, like we've already said, that Benfica play eight more matches in 82-83 than Porto. And Porto really wanted to play this match in June to make the most of Benfica's fatigue. But the game wouldn't happen until August. And Benfica enter this final now. And they are without captain Humberto Coelho and star Fernando Chalana due to injury. New signings: Claudio Adao and uh, Michael Manish or Manic, Michael. I believe the way it's per, the English commentators pronounce is is Michael Manique, but it is Manish in Portuguese or Manique uh, to some. Yes, the Manish that that the the later uh, player would would get the nickname from. Um, Michael Manish, uh, the Danish international. Uh, they've signed to Benfica, but they're ineligible for this match. Um, and also, uh, Benfica debuting a new player, uh, a center back, a young center back by the name of Oliveira. All right, so let, let's listen to a little bit more from the documentary here as we get ready to to dive into the match
1: nunca mais acontecer. É dia 21 de agosto de 1983. A final da taça vai ser jogada três meses e meio depois das meias finais. Já depois de terminar a época, já depois das férias e cumprida a pré-época e a uma semana da nova temporada. Estranho, sem dúvida. É o futebol português. Duas horas antes da partida, adeptos do Porto atacam o carro do árbitro Mário Luiz ao soco e ao pontapé. Estranhas estratégias para ganhar jogos. Agora
0: so the stage is set, and the narrator says finally the day arrives. The match that seemed would never be played is finally going to be played. It's the 21st of August 1983, the cup final being played three and a half months after the semi final, after the season, after the players have taken holiday, and after a new preseason has come and gone, one week from the start of the new league season. Strange to say the least, but that was Portuguese football at this time. Two hours prior to kickoff, Porto fans attacked the referee's vehicle upon arrival with kicks and punches. These are the new strategies in Portuguese football, the new strategies to win football matches. And forty thousand are in the stadium to see the seventh final between Benfica and Porto in the Portuguese Cup. That is the backdrop. We have covered it. All right, we've talked about it. Um, of course, very like I said, very little video of this match is out there. Um, if I feel like it's been pulled, like I said, in the in the in recent months, because I'm pretty sure. At one time, I saw a link to a full-length video of this match on YouTube. So we got to run through it quicker than I would like to because I didn't get a chance to sit and watch it. I was not able to access it. If anyone has access to this to this uh, match If they happen to have it recorded And can convert it um, into some kind of file Let me know how I could get it Please by all means shoot me A message on Twitter At Benfica Mr. Or on Instagram at Mr. Benfica would be happy to, uh, to check it out And maybe uh, add a bonus segment To this episode at a later date perhaps um, But after all of the BS, it's time to play some football. So here were the 22 for that match, starting with the Porto 11. The goalkeeper was Zebetu. The right back, João Pinto, the long time. This is early in his career, but this he would go on to be a long time, um, a long time Porto uh, regular the center back is lima pereira. the center back pairing is lima pereira and uriku and the left back is augustinasu the the two center ma, uh, center midfielders a double center mid pairing is frasku and Souza. jaim magalhães is the right midfielder and jaim pacheco the left the twin strikers are Jacques and Fernando Gomes, the European leading scorer um, if in 82-83. He led all of Europe in scoring. Um, a very big season for one. Fernando Gomes. Benfica's 11 would look like this in goal. None other than Manuel Bento, the right back. Of course, the ever-reliable Pietra. Bastos Lopes would partner with the young Oliveira, the newcomer. At the center back uh, While the left back would be Alvaro Magalhães The right midfielder is Jose Luis. The center midfield pairing Carlos Manuel and Glenn Stromberg um, The left mid would be Velozu Who is As many would say Is really a fifth defender a Reinforcement on the left side Of the pitch Defensively for Benfica and the very powerful strike tandem of Nene and Filipovich, um notice left off the eleven or shell, and um, and Diamantino for this match. Okay, um, Nene uh, in the video will tell us he he's looking back, and this is a, an interview many many years later. But he looks back. And he said there was no message Benfica wanted to send in this match. There was no mind games. They just simply wanted to go win and lift the cup in the opponent's stadium. And um, in front of their captain, you know, who was their friend from the national team. um, Match kicks off and right away Benfica uh, showed that they they show it doesn't matter what stadium this match is being played at and befica nearly go ahead right in the opening minutes and it wouldn't take long it would be in minute 20 after a giveaway in midfield glenn stromberg would take a few paces with the ball carrying it and then play a perfect pass between two porto players right into space for carlos manuel and he had the title clinching goal last spring um, at the end of the 83 season in May in Portimon that clinched the title and now at the Antage he would he would get his name on the score sheet early 20 minutes in from distance once once again and Benfica are ahead at the Antage and it is absolute shock Um, For the 40,000 Porto fans in attendance, the Antic is in complete and utter shock silence. You can hear the contingent of uh, Benfica fans celebrating, but for the most part, a deaf silence falls upon that stadium. And it was almost a copycat, um, very similar area to where he scored from against Portimo at the end of the previous season in June. And... He hits the ball actually with the outside of his right foot and he fools a Zabetu. Zabetu. dives right past this ball that knuckles a bit and as he you know, and as he loses it, um he was staring into the late afternoon August sun, and it looks like he overshot it in diving for the ball. Um, definitely hit with the outside of the foot, so it's not the frangu that everyone's making it out to be, in my opinion. He, he hit it well. Um, yeah, the goalkeeper could have been better, but you can see where he went wrong. Um Several, We hear next several personalities disclaim the notion that this goal was a frango, like I just did, uh, pointing out that the player in question is one of the best uh, ever at shooting from distance, and he sure was. We could use a guy like that in the 2019-2020 version of Benfica. We have nobody to shoot from distance uh, when Gabriel is not there, and he's not even all that good at it. He's just one of the few willing to do it. Um, Absolutely brilliant strike of the ball. Um, from then it turns out to be uh, the Bentu show, the Manel Bentu show. And at halftime, uh, Pedroto uses both of his subs and he adds uh, two attackers. Bivica are under pressure, but always in control. Far from an exceptional performance, as it never was going to be at this stage in the season, given um, you know, given the 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 fatigue and the the a uh, number of minutes logged already in this early portion of the season and the 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 fixture list already congested in, in August um, but Benfica kept it under control they kept the match where they needed it to when necessary the goalkeeper was more than up to the challenge and for as much as it was not an exceptional performance it was an incredible Incredibly efficient one, and a professional uh, showing at 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 its best. And it may have been uh, unspectacular, but incredibly, incredibly efficient from Benfica. Eriksson was technically superior to Pedroto once again, and Porto resort to playing football a bombo. That's right, football a bombo. If you don't know what that means, kick and rush, as the British say. Um, they they resort to sending long balls high into the area. And the Benfica back line have every angle covered. And they are first to the ball just about every time. Referee will whistle for full time. And Benfica win the cup for the third time in four years already. The third time in the 80s, 80, 81, and now 83. Benfica have lifted the cup. And then, in an example of fair play, we see Nenê and Fernando Gomes together lifting the cup—a very rare gesture. I don't know that I've ever seen that before, but um, it shows that uh, it shows a class that Benfica has to 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 share a moment like that with Fernando Gomes. In my opinion, in his stadium and to this day it's it shows what sets us apart from them precisely when we win it is and this is this is also mentioned in the, in the video by the various personalities talking but they all basically get around to this same point that when we win when Benfica win it is about Benfica and it is about Benfica's accomplishment it's not it's not about you know, it's not anti-Porto or anti-sporting or it's not preventing them from winning. It's us winning. It's us doing our job. That is indisputable to this day. And it is what sets Benfica's apart from the rest of the fan bases. We are Benfica, maior que Portugal. Little did we know this was just the beginning. Um, this was just the beginning of what the, that Provincial Club would would be on August 21st, 1983. Over the next 30 years, uh, they will prove to be anti-Benfica first and be pro Porto second. The president has been intimidating referees for 37 years now, and the off-the-field battles and shenanigans and mind games would only multiply and intensify. They get the best of us for the most part to this day, um, especially until or at least until the 2010 season when things would finally begin to even out. At some point, we will see them again, like I said, in in this year's edition of the Portuguese Cup Final, this year being 2019-2020 and it will likely however be in an empty stadium and, and adding yet another chapter to this intense rivalry ladies and gentlemen this has been the 1982-83 benfica season i hope you've enjoyed this i want to extend um, i want to extend my my thankfulness, and I want to let you know how grateful I am to everyone who's continued to listen to this podcast during uh, this 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 co- coronavirus outbreak. I don't like to talk about it. You want to hear about the virus. You want to hear about opinion. That's available everywhere. Um, I- on this platform, we talk. We're gonna talk about football, and um, when there isn't current football to talk about, I'll 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 go into the the glory years. And it has been an absolute honor and privilege to have the time to to. Revisit this this league season that obviously I didn't see. I was born in the middle of this season. But that a lot of us living abroad did not see if, you're, if you weren't in Portugal. And even if you were in Portugal, unless you were going to the stadium, you didn't see most of this season because very few matches were televised in this day. So it was really, really uh, special to go back and relive it result by result. Um, From one game to the next, all the way through what is perhaps the best season in the history of Benfica. It would be the best season in Benfica, at least until we get to 2014, 2013-14, when Benfica would... I should say 1415, when Benfica would win the treble and get back to a Europa League final, losing on penalties, unfortunately, uh, but con- conquering everything in Portugal that season under Jorge Zuzuz. And um, this 8283 season is one that is incredibly special to me, um, and I can't stress enough that if you understand Portuguese. Look up Benfica Independent on any of your platforms. These episodes are free, okay? The ones I'm talking about, the Benfica in Quarantena. You don't need to be a member to listen to them. You don't need to be a patron. They have them out there for everyone. They're available on YouTube. Carlos Manuel, uh, Diamantino, okay? These, and let me see, uh, they just released two more. Not players that were in this, this time frame, but they released players that would come a few years later Ricardo Gomes, Valdu just came out uh, Carlos Moser is in there he talks about a lot of these guys alright um, Sr. Tony, the assistant coach for this season, he's in, he's got an episode all the stories they have to tell I mean, it, 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 the hour that they're talking flies by I recommend it to anyone and everyone that speaks Portuguese and that loves Benfica, alright um, a little programming note Going forward, what I'm going to do now is I'm planning tomorrow to to watch. We're gonna I'm going to turn back just a little bit from this match and go back to the UEFA Cup Final 1983. I'm going to make a bonus episode. It's going to be a watch-along of that second leg, the 1-1 at the Stadio de Luz. Yes, we didn't lift the cup, but I'm going to watch the game and react to it. Okay, and I'll I'll record it with this microphone for everybody, and that will be episode fifty nine, which will drop shortly thereafter. Maybe tomorrow night, maybe Friday morning. All right, and then after that, maybe this weekend, perhaps Saturday at some point. Thinking about doing an Instagram live if anybody's interested, and I'll I'll take some questions um, if you're interested regarding this eighty two eighty three season and all of the things didn't get to talk about on the podcast. It has been an absolute privilege once again um, to bring this content to you. I hope uh, everyone is well. I hope everyone is safe. Um, I hope everyone is is well mentally. Okay. The one thing I do want to say is there's so much focus on the symptoms of this virus and a lot of things are being ignored. People are ignoring the mental health of everyone. It is not good for us to be locked in indoors and to be locked in our homes like this. um, It is not good for our psyche. So take care of your loved ones. Check in on each other. Talk to each other. All right. Check up on everybody. Make sure everything is okay. Um, I know this past Sunday, Easter Sunday, I did an Instagram uh, call with my sister and my parents and our kids, and it it was awesome. I mean, I, it allowed that platform allowed for a three way conversation, and it was it was awesome. We talked for about an hour. Um, really really reach out to those you love and check on them it's it's more than just physical symptoms i'm not saying the virus isn't serious but there's more going on than just the virus and there's other illnesses out there and um right now people that don't feel well but are not you know showing signs of of this particular virus are kind of put on the back burner and people's surgeries are being are being delayed so um just keep an eye on each other and um We'll talk again soon for sure, all right? So thank you again for going on this ride with me in time back through 1982-83. It has been a pleasure. I have had an absolute blast putting this together. It was a lot of hours of video, but I enjoyed every minute of watching this and uh, of researching. I really enjoyed uh, reliving or living for the first time this historic Benfica season 1982-83. Thank you for joining me. This has been Mr. Benfica, episode 58. I am the Mr. Mike Agostino, signing off for another episode. We'll talk to you soon when we watch uh, Benfica Anderlecht from 1983. Uh, we'll watch along. I'll give you the link. I'll do all that and i react to it for you. Have a great night, everybody, if it's night where you are. but Have a great uh, week, and uh, we'll talk again soon.